Well, we're in a series about the church. We're calling it Big Church, and today's topic is the big recruit. But before we jump in, uh, many of us are rejoicing a decision was made by the Supreme Court this week, um, but uh, it's a first step. I read a statistic that's disturbing to me. Even with this law being passed, it only was going to reduce abortions by about 13% in the United States. And of course, abortions go on worldwide. So, continue to pray for uh, those who can't help themselves, which includes the unborn, of course. And we thank you. I, I'll give you the total next week of the offering we took for crisis pregnancy centers locally, and um, rejoice in that, and they'll continue to near, need our support. All right, big recruit. We're trying to answer the question, how in the world did the church survive the first century? There's nobody named Jesus in the back part of the Roman Empire. This, nobody wanted to go there. <laughs> uh, Israel and Jerusalem and so forth. He gets killed by the Romans. And then all of a sudden, this starts this religion. It explodes. And like we said, probably within weeks, there was 10% of the population of Jerusalem were Jesus followers. Uh, formerly Jews, because so they had a religious background, but they acknowledged the fact that this Jesus truly was the Messiah, or is the Messiah. But why did it survive? Logically, it makes no sense that that movement would continue, that movement would exist 2,000 years later and encompass several billion people in our present population. How did that happen? Well, we said that church started out as a movement. It's not a building, it's not an organization, it's a movement. It started out as a movement that was launched by an event, a thing that happened in history. This Jesus was crucified. That's a fact. He also was resurrected three days later, which is also a fact. We're going to look at it near the end of the teaching this morning. And so, thousands of people became Jesus followers. Now, as a result of that, Jewish, the Jewish religious leaders weren't happy. They thought it was heresy. And so they start, tried to stomp it, stamp it out, uh, persecute it. And we said last week that all 12 disciples were arrested, not only arrested and spent the night in jail, but also were tortured. We can say whipped or flogged, but basically they were tortured almost to the point of death. You would think, well, that would, they thought, the Jewish leaders, they thought that would stop them. And thinking historically, you would think that, yeah, that would have stopped them. So just two quick verses that summarize last week. So they get released. They're all bloody and bleeding and, and, and in pain. And here's, here's their reaction. Here's their testimony of how they approached life after that. The apostles left the high council rejoicing. Wait a minute, wait a minute. We just told them that they were beaten to almost to death. Anybody here rejoicing at that fact? Why are they rejoicing? No, certainly not rejoicing because they were beaten. Rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer. And you and I suffered, and we think, hey, thank you, God. They had that privilege to suffer, especially when it's for the cause of Christ. Notice it's disgrace for the name of Jesus. See, once you have been scourged, you are... Uh, um, um, ex-convict, I guess you would call it in today's terminology, right? You even had the 
scars on your body to prove it. Every day in the temple from house to house, because there was no church buildings, so they worship in houses, they continued to teach and preach this message. Now, why did they get tortured? (laughs) What were they ordered not to do? (laughs) Teach that Jesus is the Messiah. They did it before they were whipped. They did it after they were beaten. Then we're going to skip a couple of chapters in, in the book of Acts that we're studying in the Bible. Uh, but in that, those, in those, in that text, six, chapter 6 and 7, uh, they elect some, we call them deacons or servants of the church, laymen, um, one by the name of Stephen. In chapter 7, Stephen gets arrested. Why do he get arrested? For preaching about Jesus. Now, this was a little bit different. He wasn't an apostle. He wasn't a disciple. So he gets arrested, uh, false charges against him, and then he teaches or preaches this long, you need to read it, uh, defense of the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. It goes back to the Old Testament. And so as a consequence, what do you think they did to it? Well, they took him outside and stoned him to death. Again, they thought it was heresy. So hopefully that won't be the result of my teaching this morning. <laughs> anyway, um, he was killed. Now, the fascinating thing is this. They, the Roman, I mean, the Jewish folks didn't have the power to kill people. Only Rome did. So they went and killed this guy for religious reasons. And guess what happened? Nothing happened. The Romans didn't say, uh-uh, don't do that. So he said, we got away with it once. Maybe we can get away with it again. So we're going to pick the text up in Acts chapter 8 after Stephen has been stoned. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. Again, religious leaders in killing, but they, in their theology, you killed heretics. So that's what they did. A great wave now of persecution began. You could kill one, they would kill more. Swept over the church in Jerusalem and all the believers, which I think is kind of an overstatement, <laughs> the church still exists in Jerusalem, except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Do you remember we talked about Judea and Samaria back in week one of this series? What was the context? Anybody remember? In fact, it was Jesus speaking. We call it the Great Commission, right? It's the last thing Jesus said. He said, okay, I'm leaving now. Here's your job. You're supposed to take the message about me, the message of truth and life. You're supposed to take my message to Jerusalem, which they did right away, but they didn't do much other than that. Now, the church is scattered where? To Judea and Samaria. And then there's one other part of that Great Commission. What? The whole world. And that's what we're going to see happening in our our text today. So, they're scattered. Their, Their country, another country. Um, the question is, okay, they're scattered now. Is it going to kill the church, right? <clears throat> Some devout, text goes on. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. Best we can tell, the first martyr, first person who was killed for his belief in Jesus. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. So he said, I'm going to take up this, <laughs> this responsibility. I'm going to... St- damp out this heresy, I'm going to stop it. So he went from house to house, because that's where the believers were, 
dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Now, when you read the text, you don't have a time, sense of time. So we guesstimate, I guess the best word, that about three years have passed where Paul is doing this, right? Resting people thrown into prison. Not one day, not one week, not a month. Three years this went on. So here's the point. Despite the increase in persecution, the church continued to grow. Kind of like whack-a-mole, right? Trying to hit it here, it pops up over here. They couldn't, they couldn't exterminate. They couldn't stop it. They couldn't end it. Now, what is a natural reaction of you, you and I when we're uncomfortable? I'm not saying we're necessarily persecuted. It's just uncomfortable when we think of something that we think we should do or God wants us to do. These folks, it was uncomfortable just to worship. And now, the story we're going to look at today is God's big recruit. God's going to recruit basically someone to carry out the rest of the Great Commission. I know some of you football fans, you, did you read or hear that uh, Peyton Manning's nephew got recruited by the University of Texas? Now, team, the football team has not been very good lately. And the goal is, or the hope is what? With this high-ranking retreat, our team is going to prosper, right? Well, we're going to look at God's high retreat, recruit and how His church is going to prosper. So, Acts chapter 9. We're going to continue with this guy named Saul, right? That was around when, when Stephen was killed. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath. He was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So, man, he is passionate about it. So he went to the high priest, who gives authority, so requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus. Now, again, we don't... This is like a six-day journey. Asking their cooperation in the arrest of any followers. Now, here's the first reference to this group of people we call the church. What were they referred to first? Followers of the way. Now, we don't know exactly why, but the implication is probably it's because Jesus said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so they are called followers of the way. Again, why so narrow? We talked about this. Jesus is the only way. As I said then, one way is better than no way. And Jesus has provided the way for all of us to get back to God. So, Paul, Saul, still Saul, excuse me, he is committed 100% to stamping out this heresy of the way. He set it off, six-day trip to Damascus. I think he's pretty close to getting to Damascus and with text text goes on. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. So evidently he wasn't going to kill them there or didn't have the authority to kill them there. So now he's arresting people he's got to carry back six days journey. As he was approaching Damascus on the mission, so they're getting close, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. A blinding light, we would say. Fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, all right, so he's blinded, 
He heard a voice. Saul, Saul, this person knew his name. Why are you persecuting me? Oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. I'm persecuting these people that are following the way. I'm not persecuting you, whoever you are. Shouldn't it read, why are you persecuting it, the church? That's not what it says. So what's that say to you and I? So when you and I are persecuted or anyone is persecuted, they're not only persecuting us. Who are they persecuting? They're persecuting Jesus. Something to keep in mind. Natural response of of Saul is, um, who are you? Called him Lord, which is interesting. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Now, imagine this. He's carrying on a conversation with Jesus. Uh, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting again. Persecute my people, you persecute me. Now get up and go into the city, and I will, you'll be told what you must do. So he had a personal encounter with the living Jesus. Now all of us that call ourselves Jesus followers have had a personal encounter with Jesus, haven't we? And we were confronted with our sinfulness and accepted the fact that we needed Jesus to solve our biggest problem, our separation from God because of our sin. If you're not a Jesus follower, we're glad you're watching or you're present, listening, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. So, text goes on. Fascinating story. Again, this reads as history. It doesn't read as, you know, some made-up, something that was made up. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they had heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. You and I would be too. Wait a minute. Where, where's, that, where's the voice coming from? But Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. Can't see. I'm blind. My eyes are open, but I can't see. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, closest town, right? He remained there, blind for three days, and did not eat or drink. Now, Saul's a very religious man. And he's had this encounter with a spiritual being. That was Jesus. And so, I don't know about you, but I've had uh, something really weighing on me. I've, I've taken time to fast. And so he's taking time to reflect, to think, to try and figure out what's happening to him. And he's fasting as he's doing this. Because potentially his world has been turned upside down, right? He's persecuting these people, followers of the way, and he thinks he's being a very spiritual person because this is a heresy. And now all of a sudden, Jesus says, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're persecuting me. I truly am the Messiah. You got this completely wrong. So, now the story switches to another character. Again, just fascinating. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. Now, the Lord spoke to him in a vision, saying, Ananias. Of course, God knows everybody's name, right? There's your name, my name. Yes, Lord, he replied. <laughs> the Lord said, uh, i got an assignment for you. Go over to Straight Street. Now, why do you think it was called Straight Street? Because it was straight, right? <laughs> Again, details. This is history. And here's the person's house he was going to, a guy named Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus, Tarsus named Saul. 
who we know is previous part of the text, just had this experience with Jesus. In fact, now he's praying to me right now. So, third day in, he's praying. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias. So he's had a vision of you coming in, laying hands on him so he can see. Now, if you're Ananias, what are you going to say? Hey, that sounds like fun. Now, Ananias knows about this guy. He's famous. But Lord, you ever say but Lord? We all said but Lord at times, haven't we? But Lord, bring it up please. I've heard many people talk about terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. Now six days away, he's over here in our town, Damascus. And he is authorized, he's got the authority, by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name, which includes me. Understand? So it's like, okay, I'm already in danger because I'm a follower of the way, and you're asking me to go meet the guy that's arresting us? It's kind of like out of the frying pan into the fire. Now, I don't know how you deal or think about the difficult people when it comes to the gospel that you know. I've got family members that have no interest. You probably do too. Maybe people you work with. What is your attitude? Ah, they're never going to believe. Isn't that natural for us? I, I think about my brothers. Should know brother, for example. I think they're never going to believe. Who's a bigger challenge than Saul? If God can bring Saul to faith, can he bring your relative or mine to faith? So I'm just encouraging you not to give up. Continue praying. Continue speaking to them of Jesus. Okay. So he's saying, Lord, I'd rather not. All right? So God says, okay, I'll send somebody else. No. I've tried that myself. It doesn't work. But the Lord said, go. All right? I said, go. I'm not changing my mind. Saul is my, now notice this phrase he uses, chosen instrument. I've chosen to be an instrument. To, an instrument of what? To take my message to the Gentiles and to kings. Did he eventually get to talk to kings? Yeah. As well as the people of Israel. When he, when he would go into a town, he would go first to the, the synagogue and talk to the Jewish people. And when they wouldn't believe or threw him out, he would also include the Gentiles. Now, why was this Jesus recruiting this guy? How well were the disciples doing at taking the gospel to the Gentiles? Not very good. I will show him how much, okay, he's going to do what I want him to do. And I'm going to show him how much he's going to what? Suffer for my name's sake. And thinking about that, I thought, we're going to tell you a little bit about his history. If I knew what was going to happen to me and I was Saul, man, I don't know if I would have, okay, God, suffer. You and I don't really suffer, do we? Again, this was enemy number one of the church. So, what's Ananias do? So, Ananias went and found Saul. 
He laid his hands on him. He said, Brother Saul, accept him into the family, right? The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he gained his sight. He got up and was baptized. So now he's a believer. Amazing. Afterwards, he ate some food and regained his strength. If you ever fasted, you have to, at the time you break the fast. Uh, Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. Right? Got back his sight, got back his strength, and he stayed there for a few days. So what's, he, what's he going to do? Uh, bring that up, please. And immediately, immediately, he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues. The same synagogues he was going to to get authority to arrest people, the followers of the way. What was he preaching? This Jesus, he is indeed the Son of God. He is the Messiah, the one we were waiting for. Now notice, how much does he know about Christianity at this point? Now he knows Old Testament. So, you don't have to know a lot. You just have to know what you know. Do you know what you know? Then tell people what you know. So, all who heard him were amazed. Why were they amazed? Same reason you and I would be amazed. Uh, Bring it up, please. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? This is the same guy? Didn't he come here to arrest them and take them into chains to the leading priest? Man, 180-degree change. He went from arresting us to proclaiming Jesus is the Messiah. Preaching, uh, text goes on, Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. And the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs. So again, he was an expert on the Old Testament, so he was able to connect the dots between Old Testament and Jesus, that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Then the fascinating thing... Saul, now Paul, disappears for about 12 years. We don't know what he was doing. Well, we kind of know what he was doing. I'm sure he kept preaching about Jesus, right? And so then we know him as the first missionary, if you will. And for the next 10 or 11 years, he carries out, um, give you a map, what we call three missionary journeys. So he goes out from the headquarters of the church, mostly in areas we call Turkey and Greece today. And we start these little churches, or ecclesias, and then he would write letters to him, and he would go back on the second journey. He would go back to the same, same places in the third journey, most often by boat, sometimes by land. And so this goes on for about 11 years. This, this is his ministry. This is what he does. And then after that, he gets arrested in Jerusalem. He gets taken to Caesarea, and he's kept there for two years. And they would bring him out. He would speak before the king, and... You know, back in prison for a few months. And then he finally got tired of this. He said, okay, I'm a Roman citizen. I had the privilege of being tried in Rome. And they said, well, we probably let you go if you hadn't done that. But since you said that, now you have to go. So another, another map will show you the journey that he took to get to Rome. And it was pretty hectic and there was a shipwreck and all this. But eventually he winds up in Rome. Now the first two years, about year 58, 
he is uh, under house arrest. Um, sometimes it's interesting to think, well, imagine those guards. <laughs> he got to preach to those guards as they rotated through his arrest. Someday we'll see some of them in heaven, I'm, I'm guessing. Um, then they let him go. I don't know too much what happened, but <clears throat> about year 66, he is arrested and put in prison, in a dungeon. Um, he's there for about a year plus, year and a half, and then one day the guards come get him and take him out to wherever they do executions, and we believe that he, he was beheaded. But during that time in Rome, he wrote much of what we, part of the New Testament that we have that he wrote. So I just put this on your outline. Very bad things can happen to very good people. In fact, the, the worst thing that ever could happen happened to the very best person, Jesus, didn't it? And I got to thinking about, why are we such whiners? I am. Um, you think about COVID. How difficult was COVID? Come on. Why do we whine? So, I'm going to finish up this morning with, so what's the bottom line of the gospel? People ask me questions like, can you be a believer and not go to church? Can you be a believer and believe in, in abortions? What's the bottom line? Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and he tells us, I pass on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as Scripture says. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as Scripture says. So, what's the bottom line of the gospel? Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised. He was, he was seen. And the text goes on about seen by who? He was seen by Peter and then the twelve, all the disciples. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. So, 500 plus people saw him. Most of whom are still alive. This is 20, 25 years later. Some have died. Then he was seen by James, Jesus' brother, and later by the, the apostles. And then last of all, as though as one who has been born out at the wrong time, I also saw him. Now, see, we, sometimes we call Paul one of the apostles because qualification for being an apostle is you had to see Jesus. He didn't see him before he was resurrected, but he saw him afterwards. So I saw him. For I am the least of the, all the apostles. Why did, why did he say that? Sounds like he's the greatest. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. Why? After the way I persecuted God's church. And so then I love this last verse that we covered this morning. It said, today, I am who I am because of God's grace. I can say that. You can say that, right? I am who I am because of God's grace. And I've made sure that the grace he offered me has not been wasted. Well, hopefully I haven't wasted God's grace to me. And he says this, I have worked harder, longer, and smarter than all the rest. Kind of sounds like it, doesn't it? He said, okay, you, you, you 12 apostles, you can take care of Jerusalem. I'll take care of the rest of the world. But I realize it is not me. It is God's grace with me that has made the difference. You can say that. 
So what's the challenge for you and I? You and me, excuse me. What's the challenge? Can we say with Paul? His grace hasn't been wasted on me. So, we all have to wrestle with that bottom line of the gospel. We don't know about dinosaurs and, you know, what's going to happen in the end times. All that stuff's in the Bible. But here it is. Christ died for our sin. He was buried. He was raised. He was seen. Can you say that with me? Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised. He was seen. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? So, here's my assignment for you. (laughs) Who's your audience? Who's your audience? We all have an audience that God is asking us to be responsible to sharing the gospel with. None of us have the audience Paul had, the Roman Empire. But we have an audience. I want you to ask yourself, am I working harder and smarter sharing Christ with my audience. I pray that you do. Let me pray with you and I'll let you go. Father God, thank you so much for this account of the life of Saul, who became Paul. God, it's encouragement to me to share Christ with anybody and everybody, especially the ones that have seemed the most difficult. Maybe they're the most, had the most potential once they enter your kingdom. We pray that you would open doors for us. Anyone that may be watching or listening that isn't a Jesus follower. I ask you, do you believe that Christ died for your sins, that he was buried, that he was raised, and he was seen? If so, you can receive that gift of salvation, enter into a life-changing relationship with Almighty God, sins forgiven, and spend eternity with God in heaven. Anyone's made that decision, please let us know so we can, as Saul did, became Paul, was baptized. God, most of us have been believers for a while. I pray that we would take seriously the fact that you call us all. You speak to us all. And you ask us to do things that may be difficult. They may even be things that we have to suffer. Are we up to the challenge? Is your grace sufficient? You say it's sufficient. I pray that we accept it as being sufficient. We thank you for this opportunity we have, this account of the life of Paul and all, all the scripture that we have. God, we thank you for that privilege. That can be an instruction and an encouragement to us. I pray we're faithful in, in feeding upon your word. I pray for all these folks that are listening. I pray that they walk with you, Jesus. That we truly can be, call ourselves followers. So we follow wherever you lead. We thank you for that privilege, truly a privilege, suffering and all. We thank you in the name of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.